Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And after four plus months, the Bucks secure win number 54. They are now 54 and 12. They beat the Celtic 119 to 112. It was an epic Giannis performance 36 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. There was nervous moments down the stretch. This wasn't scrimmage play anymore. Once the last minutes rolled around, uh, I realized that the NBA was officially back. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, you know, this has been uh, the strangest year, um, not in maybe in my life specifically, but certainly in the world's, in the, in the history of my life for the world, if that makes sense. And it's been obviously a really difficult year for a lot of people. And, um, you know, losing sports the way we did, um, I don't think any of, you know, nobody, nobody, none of us had ever gone through something like that, experienced something like that. And obviously, you know, sports are not important in the grand scheme of a lot of the things that are happening and that we've been kind of going through as a country, as a world, et cetera. But um, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, it was just so fun to have basketball. And obviously for us, the, you know, as Bucks fans, it was just so great to have, um, you know, this team, Giannis, and, uh, and the feeling of winning, uh, which, which ultimately we got, um, back. And so uh, as trying as, as this year has been and continues to be, and obviously certainly the U.S., uh, but also the world, it, it was um, – it's just really nice and makes you very thankful, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. we, we often talk like we want to appreciate Giannis. We want to appreciate this team and, and not – take that for granted. Um, but you know, certainly right now, I think we're, we obviously also uh, don't want to just take the sport for granted. And so to, uh, you know, to, to have it back in our lives, have a game that officially counts, um, not, not for MVP purposes, right. Not for award, <laughs> it doesn't count, but, um, I think Giannis reiterated why, uh, you know, he is, uh, the shoe in MVP and, um, it was obviously a, a really fast start. And then, um, you know, some of the, I'd say some of the issues, the sloppiness, the kind of second unit, just ugh, like, you know, missing blood. So in particular, and, and, you know, the lineups without starters, just, oh man, there was some, some really ugly, <laughs> some really ugly moments where the Bucks did not look sharp at all. Um, but obviously, you know, there was certain, also a fair bit of lack of sharpness on the, on the Celtic side as well. And, um, you know, ultimately the, the best player in the world, uh, was the difference in this game. And um, that obviously made for a very fun fourth quarter in particular is, you know, Giannis goes for 16 points on seven of eight shooting in that fourth quarter, a couple of big three point plays uh, late to, to, you know, get that separation. Middleton hit a big three. He had a hard shoot, tough shooting night, um, but or actually started off well and then ends up just having a really rough patch sort of in the, the latter, like the middle quarters, let's say, um, but uh, hits a big three as the Bucks kind of got, 
got it back out to two possession game. So, um, so yeah, I mean, again, uh, some, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Bucks keep winning. Giannis looks amazing. Uh, and you know, uh, shit talking between Celtics fans and Bucks fans, no matter the outcome, uh, especially by the Twitter reaction afterwards continued, uh, as there were some, uh, let's just say some controversial moments between in particular, Marcus Smart and, and Giannis. So uh, that, that also something, I mean, we talked about that last night, right? <laughs> like who's going to guard Giannis? The Celtics don't really have obvious defenders for him. And Smart, again, sort of reiterated why uh, in many, many respects, he's maybe their best chance at winning, even if um, he obviously has, uh, has things that, that he's giving up there, especially size-wise. But, but uh, yeah, nothing, no shortage of things to unpack. Um, but again, game that maybe doesn't mean a, a ton in the grand scheme of a march towards the title, but obviously a really nice first step to kind of getting back to, to where the Bucks were before uh, for suspension of the season. Yeah, it's a real scene setter for a potential playoff series, isn't it? I mean, we know these teams have played the last two years. If you, I mean, when you talk about rivalries, if you're playing a team three years a row in in a row in the postseason you're going to start to not like each other. And there's been some changing faces here, but for the most part, the key players are all there. And we may as well get straight to the officiating with Giannis. This was really the main story, both during the game and also in the post-game. So I tweeted this during the game, but the scary thing about Marcus Smart defending Giannis is the fact that all he's going to do is try and flop and draw fouls. That's really his only uh, method uh, of slowing down Giannis. You see it even when Giannis blows by him, uh, with no trouble at all, Smart will always and try and initiate some sort of contact with his arm and snap his head back and make it really, really dramatic and obvious. And then in that situation, you're relying on the officials and just holding your breath, hoping they don't uh, call an offensive foul. And we've seen at times that this has worked. Giannis nearly fouled out in this game. It would have been the second time in three games against the Celtics he's fouled out. He finished with five fouls on the night. There was one foul an offensive foul that he was called for. I guess it was the the leg follow-through, but the replay to me, it didn't look like he made any contact anywhere near where Marcus Smart was holding. And then late in the game, there was obviously the hostile act foul, which was just super strange. I mean, again, I'm not sure why Tice reacted, Daniel Tice reacted the way he did as Giannis was trying to, to fight around a screen. It seemed really exaggerated. And whether or not he was actually flopping or there was some incidental contact that was ultimately waved away there was still two and a half minutes left at that point so if Giannis fouls out maybe we're looking at a different result I think that's fair to say and then the third one we've seen this all season long it's completely beyond me why Giannis never ever ever gets the benefit of the doubt in block charge scenarios I it just oh my goodness it's so frustrating it's by far the most frustrating thing about watching bucks basketball for mine this season the fact that sometimes you'll get it overturned in this situation they did but you had to go to review to do that i I just can't believe that we're talking about the mvp the best player in the game he's got 35 friggin points at the time of the call and the official's first instinct is to say that's a charge to me it's crazy i don't like that play in general where the players slide in underneath a guy while he's in midair. It's a dangerous play. Thankfully, Giannis was okay. The call was overturned and the Bucks win the game. But Marcus Smart, after the game, insinuating that the only reason the call was overturned was because they didn't want to foul out Giannis. Well, Marcus, i got to tell you, you obviously haven't watched the Bucks too often this season because Giannis uh, has fouled out multiple times and the officials have had no problem at all giving him that sixth foul in questionable circumstances. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the Tice situation, I mean, to me, that was the most questionable, right? Just because, um, you know, if, if it was just a no call and they continue and whatever, then that'd be one thing. But they, uh, um, the, the, the officials whistled the play dead because Tice reacted and acted like, you know, he'd gotten it really punched in the junk, right? Yeah. Um, and, and again, like, I mean, I, I don't know, right? I mean, like, anybody who's uh, has male genitalia can probably like vouch for like sometimes something that doesn't look (laughs) like a big deal sometimes is a big deal so i i don't know i mean it could have been you know uh, could have really been something um to me that's certainly a situation where you know he could have easily gotten uh not had the benefit of that um but but yeah i mean i think the other play especially the the block charge play um i mean you know this uh, we were talking about this on on twitter the other day um I was kind of in a short talking of Twitter back and forth about this and um, talking about like when to use challenges, right? I was complaining. Um, I was complaining about uh, my, my box score. I just started live playing <laughs> highlights. Uh, Giannis three point play. Yay. Um, but uh, this, Jan, this is ESPN autoplay videos, man. They're the worst. Yes. Uh, but um, the, you know, it's interesting with challenge plays and the, and the philosophy around this. And I was sort of half joking about, um, the fact that they uh, Bud didn't uh, challenge that play when Derek White got that phantom charge call on a Giannis finish mm-hmm. in that Spurs scrimmage, um, but you know, really, like even if it's early in the game, a Giannis block charge is, I would say, generally like the absolute most important type of play that Bud should challenge because um, we saw it again tonight, right? It was very different part of the game, right? Higher leverage part of the game, but it's reminiscent of that play at the end of the half in Minnesota, you guys might recall where Giannis goes full steam. That was right before halftime and he goes up. It's a dangerous play. A guy tries to, you know, take a charge. Giannis finishes in spite of that and it's ruled an offensive foul. So, you know, you have this massive swing when that's overturned because as we saw tonight, you know, that should have been, I think it was 107, 107 when that play was called it, you know, if, if the, the call stands, Giannis fouls out, Celtics have the ball tied. Instead, Giannis stays in the game. It's a two-pointer plus a three-point play opportunity. Mm-hmm. He hits the free throw, and you got it at the three-point lead. You know, compare that to challenging if you're keeping your uh, – and, and, again, this is obviously a no-brainer because it was high leverage and it was Giannis block charge. But even if those happen early in the game, you know, my point is, you know, if that play happens in the second quarter, you, you should challenge it just because you never know when that extra foul on Giannis might really come back to hurt you. And, you know, late in games – you know, we've seen sometimes coaches keep challenges and then they end up kind of, you know, uh, challenging a, a questionable foul call. And, you know, sometimes they're just kind of stretching and it's sort of a desperation thing. So it's often not overturned. And then even when it is, it's a jump ball. Like, you know, you don't, you don't automatically get the ball back. And in this situation, obviously, not only, you know, do you get two points, you get the foul reverse, you get a free throw. I mean, it's, it's a really big swing in terms of momentum. And so, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, whether it's Giannis or, or anybody, um, I mean, this is, it, it kind of boggles my mind. I think the upside is when these plays get reviewed is that I think it oftentimes becomes more obvious to officials that, you know, the rule is that if you're going into your upward shooting motion, the, the player has to be established, right? And they can't be moving and sliding around after you go into your upward shooting motion. Now, that terminology is itself kind of vague when you're going up for, you know, a dunk. But um, I think so often with, with block charges, to me, 
to me, like they constantly allow people to get set after the guy has, you know, certainly picked up his dribble and started to get ready to load up and, and jump. And as you said, I mean, why you would want to reward defenders for creating dangerous situations for themselves and offensive players just kind of boggles my mind. Like if you just give the benefit of the doubt and just, you know, make it don't, don't give, don't give those bailout charge calls to defenders. You know, I think you could start to change behavior and hopefully disincentivize people from doing that. Um, You know, the charge circle, which has been around for a long time now, I think helps that. But um, you know, again, like tonight, I mean, that play smart was, clearly in the charge circle when Giannis was going into his leap. And then by the time Giannis was actually like, you know, finishing uh, smart was already basically more or less out of the charge circle. You know, his feet kind of were on the circle and then kind of lifted up. But you know, either way, like I feel like too often even announcers get fixated on, Oh, where's his feet? Where's his feet? I don't give a shit where his feet are. Like, you know, like if he's on the circle or not, the bottom line is the guy was clearly moving and did not give the offensive player you know, any chance to, to even look out for himself, right? Like the guy was jumping and then you slide in under him. So anyway, don't get us started. I think we're preaching to the choir, I'm <laughs> sure with, with listeners on this um, because it's not just a Giannis thing. Um, it's absolutely a, a league wide issue. And this is why, you know, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of very smart people who analysts of the game, including our friend, Nate Duncan, who, you know, are kind of in that like ban the charge uh, crowd. Right. And have actually looked and, and, people have put real thought into well, what if you literally do ban charges in those situations. Um, and I think that's an interesting idea, right? Like what if you ban situations where guys are stepping in to take charges um, on, on those types of plays. Now you could still allow, you could still call charges when a guy is dribbling and just, you know, powers through a guy or, you know, yeah, obviously like push offs, put, yeah, push offs, things like that. Like, I mean, nobody's saying that you have to, you know, do away with offensive fouls entirely, mm-hmm. but the plays that are dangerous are those where a guy is jumping, trying to attack the rim and somebody's sliding in under him. And, and, you know, that's really the dangerous stuff. So, so yeah, again, there's a lot that can be done there, but, you know, thankfully for the outcome of this game, uh, in my mental health, uh, they, uh, they got the call right. And, you know, smart, uh, after the game, um, you know, being so bitter, bitter about that one kind of was like, all right, well, you know, you just, you know, you're clearly like, you clearly like obviously haven't seen a replay and you're not judging that one objectively if the Celtics want to complain about the Tice thing I think that's a far more you know fair game thing to complain about especially because there eventually was a whistle but um you know again uh I I don't want to I don't want to make the whole game about officiating because I'm sure that's what you know Celtics fans want to do um and I'm you know I think Celtics fans also want to I think they're probably trying to spin Jason Tatum uh, having just a her- another you know horrendous shooting, he's had a number of these games. It's, it's kind of wild how many games like this he's had, where he literally can't make any shot. Um, for a guy who's obviously had a great season, it seems like he's had. I can recall a, a number of these games happening, and I think the craziest part of this game, he goes what two out of eighteen. One of his made field goals was when Giannis <laughs> and Wes Matthews like collided, and Tatum was literally yeah. not in the play, but was the closest guy. <laughs> so he was one out of seventeen on actual shots he took tonight, and uh, you know a lot of them. You give Wes Matthews in particular a lot of credit for for making Jason Tatum's life hard. You give Brooke Lopez, I think, a ton of credit. Uh, his rim protection against Tatum, I mean, that was like you know little brother against big brother type stuff repeatedly. Uh, Tatum just really struggled around the rim, which has been something that, you know, is, is not a brand new thing for him. 
Um, but then he also, I mean, he had a lot of pretty clean looks from mid range in particular where, you know, he just couldn't buy a bucket. So, um, it seemed like Buck's defense maybe got him overthinking things. And then as the game wore on, it just seemed like he maybe got into his own head a little bit, but, um, Obviously, that's not going to happen most games. But you know, Celtics fans try and act like you know this is a moral victory because Jason Tatum sucked. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that's that's fine. I I, I mean, uh, Chris Middleton also couldn't couldn't buy a three that that carried over from uh, from the scrimmage. He was two out of nine, but again, hit that big one um, late in the game that kind of gave the Bucks that restored that six point lead. Um, so that was good. And I thought you know his passing was great again tonight. Um, in particular, I just think, you know, he, he found Giannis for that, that one of those and ones late, um, off a terrific pick and roll pass, which, you know, is again, um, a consistent thing that we've seen throughout the pre, the, uh, this, the, the scrimmages as well. So it was nice to see that kind of carry over that chemistry carry over, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, strange game. It was always going to be a bit strange, but you know, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of typical Bucks, right? This was kind of a typical bad Bucks win, I would say, right? <laughs> in the in the grand scheme of like games where the Bucks don't really play great but win anyway, this that's sort of like how they how they win those those types of games. Um, kind of ugly, kind of sloppy. Uh, second union in particular, but you know, Giannis just sort of carries the carries the the way. Yeah, I mean, you probably almost would hope that you wouldn't need that type of performance from Giannis straight up. But certainly mentioned after the game that. Probably he and Chris Middleton played a minute or two more than he would have liked. Now, that won't surprise anyone because they both played uh, over 32 minutes and they only play 30 typically. So, yeah, I mean, that, that checks out. The blood said they played a minute or two more than he would have liked. But at the same time, the fact uh, that they, they both got through healthy, again, this is the main point. Now, with Chris Middleton, I think that you really touched on it. The fact that Tatum didn't play well, I mean, it cancels out with Chris Milton. I mean, he he was getting a lot of looks that you're just like, oh, my goodness, during the season, he's knocking down those, particularly the three-point attempts. He was two for nine uh, from three. But I had to laugh when he hit that shot late in the game because you would have to imagine there was a lot of Celtics fans out there going, wow, Chris Milton actually is capable of missing a shot against our team. This is unbelievable. He's having a really bad night. And then uh, in the final minute when the Bucks needed a bucket, Chris Milton delivers the dagger from three. It was quite fitting that he did that. You mentioned the assists. Uh, so I, I really love the fact that between Chris and Giannis, they had 15 assists and only three turnovers. And keeping in mind that uh, the turnovers there for Giannis, a couple of offensive fouls as well. So really, both of those guys protected the ball so well. and And that... Uh, in this, especially when they're playing that two-man game. I mean, you love to see that. As you mentioned, Giannis is just so damn dangerous moving without the ball. I think there's always a little bit of concern when he's charging down the floor. I mean, he's so dynamic in transition, but that's where he gets in danger of giving away offensive fouls. But when Chris Milton is the guy handling the ball, as we've seen a lot over the three scrimmages and this game, and Giannis can move without the ball, he's so easy to pass to because, first of all, his hands are so great. But we've seen it before. Chris can literally just put a pass anywhere and Giannis will go get it. And once he gets the catch in that spot, you either have to make a decision to absolutely foul him or he's going to dunk on you. Or even if you do try and foul him, he might still finish over the top of you anyway. So yeah, there was a couple of occasions that pick and roll possession late stood out to me. But there was a transition basket earlier in the fourth quarter as well where uh, Giannis ran the floor without the ball. And I love to see that. I love to see when other guys are able to push the pace and find him near a closer 
to the rim rather than him taking it from coast to coast, particularly when he is in foul trouble. So I thought that was great to see. But Brooke Lopez, you mentioned his defense and six blocks. And I think it does contribute a lot to what we saw from the Celtics because if you look uh, at some of the guys that were getting up threes, Jalen Brown, three for 10, Tatum, 0 for 4, Haywood, 0 for 3. I mean, they didn't shoot the ball well from out there, but they really had little success uh, in the paint. Only 38 points in the paint for the night. We've seen that a lot against the Bucs through the season. The Bucs had 48. But that room protection, again, I mean, we're just straight away seeing it was like clockwork. There was too many fouls in the first half. The Celtics had 29 free throw attempts heading into halftime. But in the second half, they really, I thought they did a better job of not being overly aggressive, not con- uh, uh, committing that contact, particularly on jump shots. And then when you restrict a team to only five free throw attempts in the second half, you turn them into purely a jump shooting team. And for mine, Brooke Lopez, to see him with the kind of touch on the shot blocks uh, and the rim protection straight out the bat. I mean, it's, it's quite remarkable. I mean, this guy, this guy is just unbelievable in those situations. Yeah, it was kind of funny. There was that play, and I think it was like a three-on-one in the maybe in the second half, where Gordon Hayward and uh, was leading the break. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I and he he smartly he got Brooke to jump up and commit, and they ended Good up getting a layup yeah. out of it. But um, but I was like half expecting Brooke to block yeah. that, <laughs> that play too. You know, just it really is remarkable just how perfectly Brooke has figured out how to read drivers and know when to commit and and again that's the art of of being a shot blocker especially in this buck system um it's knowing when when you commit to block that shot when you hang back to that extra split second to take away you know a lob pass to take away um you know anything else that that kind of might come out so it's it's uh it's just such a such an amazing thing to watch him work and um you know, looking at the the plus minus tonight again, one game plus minus. You know, there can be a lot of noise in there, but um, you know, Bucks got off to that terrific start. Was it nineteen to two at one point? I mean, they were just running riot um, over the Celtics there early on. Well, um, it, well, and, the funny the funny thing was that that initial timeout. I, I think they might have scored a bucket out of that as well. I think you're right, but that initial timeout was seventeen to two. And as you pointed to, that bucket came off the box. <laughs> it wasn't even, yeah. it wasn't even a basket for the Celtics. It was an own goal. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, you look at the final kind of plus minuses, which again, I think are interesting just because they sort of tell a story of, you know, was where did the winning margin kind of come from? Like, you know, um, we, we, you can't obviously tell like lineup data from just looking at a, a traditional box score, but um, you know, every buck starter plus 12 uh, or better uh, Giannis plus 18 uh, versus the bench, none of the Bucks bench players uh, were positive. Uh, DJ Wilson and Kyle Korver led the way with a plus <laughs> with an even zero, um, plus minus. Uh, Sterling Brown, man, um, that rough last game of uh, of uh, last scrimmage where he was left hung out to dry to be a ball handler and be point Sterling Brown. We didn't see point Sterling Brown maybe tonight. Um, he did have a four point play that was fun. Um, did have six rebounds, three steals. But, um, man, the Celtics, I just thought, did a really good job when the Bucks went to the whole bench lineup um, in that first half in particular. They just really pressured the ball, and the Bucks just, I mean, whether it was, you know, Sterling Brown, um, they caught Corver once or twice, even George Hill. 
they just looked nervous and they just looked like they had just kind of gotten blitzed um, when, when that group had the ball. And again, that's something where, you know, I mean, lineup wise, like, I mean, bud, come on, man. Like, can we just stagger Giannis and Chris? I mean, especially when they play 30 plus minutes, you know, can we minimize those lineups a little bit more? Cause um, you know, it was just, it was just tough to watch, especially with George Hill. Uh, you know, he goes over two from three tonight, uh, did score seven points on five shots. I mean, George wasn't bad. Um, but you know, with, with Hill not being kind of back to what we expect from him, um, it, you know, that second unit, uh, <laughs> not a lot of shot creation, not a lot of guys, you know, really attacking, attacking off the dribble. Um, it was pretty tough to watch. And, and that really was, you know, what the Celtics used to get back in the game. And, um, you know, kudos. I mean, smart was great. You know, smart was, was great, you know, offensively. I mean, he was 22 yeah. points on 11 shots. I mean, this is, you know, uh, that, that's about, I mean, again, smarts had a, a, a bit of an up and down year, but I mean, this, that's obviously about as much as you can expect from, from smart in terms of efficiency. That's typically not, not his game. Um, so I, certainly that, that bench unit, which again, the Celtics are not super deep or anything like that. Right. I and mean, we talked about that. Um, they don't have a murderer's row there off the bench, but um, they certainly, you know, Bucks. Much as we talk about the Bucks depth, felt like the felt like Bud playing that that all bench group in particular. I'd be curious to know what the plus minus was on the all bench groups because it felt like they just got totally worked, um, even against the Celtics team. That you know their bench isn't the deepest either. But I thought it it, it does feel like you know because of having Tatum, Hayward, Walker, and Brown, you can just stagger those guys much more easily. Um, versus the Bucks, you know, you really only have Giannis and Chris as kind of those really creative weapons right now with Blood So Hurt um, and, and Hill being kind of subdued a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, maybe balancing those lineups a little bit might have made this uh, a little bit of a um, safer lead. Uh, but, uh, you know, either way, kind of Bucks, Bucks ultimately kind of went out and obviously took care of business. But, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly a lot, of, a lot of things that we are used to seeing in this game um, and then, uh, you know, certainly some, and understandably from both teams, some rust coming out of, uh, obviously the, just, you know, a few scrimmages after a long layoff. Yeah. I've got the lineup data here now. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't give me individual numbers for groupings, but it just gives you a pretty clear indication of when, uh, guys were on the floor. It's a pretty cool tool actually on nba.com. And there's two stat, uh, two periods of the game that really stood out to me. Uh, Giannis actually only really had about a minute or two off from late in the third quarter. He really rolled right through. But the period early in the first quarter that you're talking about, the Bucks played around five minutes with Ilyasova, Hill, Robin Lopez, Sterling Brown, and Kyle Korver. That was particularly brutal. That was when they, they really, that, that lead evaporated uh, significantly. And then in the third quarter, prior to Giannis coming back on and basically not leaving, it was Middleton, Ilyasova, George Hill, Robin Lopez and Sterling Brown. And remember, Chris was going through a really rough patch there, so they were struggling for some offense. Robin Lopez actually came up with two big buckets in a row yeah. that, that they needed. Yeah. They needed badly. And I asked Bud about that after the game, and he said, yeah, we were, we were really struggling for something, but we needed to get Giannis a bit of a break there if we wanted to play him through the fourth quarter. So, yeah, uh, again, I, I just think as much as we, we like the depth on this Bucks team, and we do, I think when you lose Eric Bledsoe, clearly a starter, Pat Connaughton and a guy that's played 18 minutes a, a game all season long, virtually every night. And then, of course, Marvin Williams, another guy we expect to be a key figure who, uh, just as an update, Bud said that he did do a fair bit of work prior to the game and they're just going to see how he pulls up, but he doesn't expect that it's going to be a long absence for him. So 
you know, all things considered, the Bucks missing three guys that are going to be heavily in the rotation during the postseason. Uh, not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Again, uh, it was extremely fun to watch Giannis play at that MVP level. I would like it if he didn't have to play that way in all of these eight seeding games. But we spoke so much about how the result doesn't really matter. But at the same time, when it got late in the fourth quarter, I was like, okay, let's get this one now. Let's register a win. And it's fun. It's fun to see the standings tick over and actually understand that this game does count for something. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Um, so a, c- a couple of thoughts. Um, <laughs> it's so funny how uh, Marcus Smart, you put Marcus Smart, whether it was on Giannis or Middleton, and uh, and I understand it more with Giannis because he's obviously much bigger. Uh, and Chris is obviously really good, especially against smaller guys. But it's sort of weird how like Smart being out there um, immediately leads the Bucks, to, and, and I mean, they're not the only team. Like They immediately try to just post him up. And it's yeah. like, look, I get it. He's not that big. But by the same token, it's like, can we just run like normal offense and try to do other stuff too? Because giving into this temptation to just try to post up Marcus Smart, I feel like at times can just sort of play into the Celtics' hands as well because you kind of, you know, again, go away from a more ball-oriented type of offense and, you know, you give him a stage to start his theatrics flopping and, you know, doing stuff. And, and again, just kind of, I mean, again, whenever Smart's involved, like you just feel like Giannis is on the floor more than, than usual. Um, we saw him get tang- them get tangled up, especially it was near the end of the first game that loss in Boston. There was some uh, some stuff going 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 on between them, and um, you know Giannis uh, in the in the second game. I think you probably remember he had that dunk in transition that was sort of on smart, yeah. and uh, you could tell Giannis uh, Giannis enjoyed that. He got a little bit of he got a little bit of enjoyment out of that. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of it's a little weird to me that. It just seems like they always fall. Like it's like, oh, Smart's guarding Middleton. Oh, we got let's post him up. It's like, well, like I know he had that first jumper on the post against him, but it feels like again, I let's just try other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's kind of I feel like that's what the Celtics want and want you to do. Um, the other thought though was um, it's interesting, and Tatum and Brown have really become really good defenders, uh, but. It just doesn't seem like they, they really just don't. And, and again, I mean, Giannis is MVP, so not, it's not like they're not like I'm saying, oh, they should be Giannis stoppers. But it, it just really seems like they just get overwhelmed with his size and length and just really don't know what to do with them. And, um, you know, uh, th- that Tatum play in the in the uh, I think it was on it was on the, the smart block charge play. Um, Tatum just kind of gambled really really foolishly on the perimeter when Giannis was dribbling and he just bit on, um, on, on, on it and got, was totally out of position. And the only reason that play even happens is because Tatum is, is really made a, made a bad play, bad decision defensively, you know, 23 feet, 24 feet from the basket. Um, and, and again, it just seems like they really just don't know how to handle Giannis and, um, and they're not, and neither neither Tatum or Brown are, are floppers like smart either. So they don't, you know, they, they, they don't, they try to like kind of play him straight up and they just end up being sort of overwhelmed by it. You know, um, I think there was that, I want to say that play where he ended up uh, finishing that beautiful step around uh, Ennis Cantor, where he kind of reversed yeah. and laid it in. Um, I think, I don't know if it was Brown or Tatum, but one of them kind of got, got caught in the, in the corner as well. And Giannis was able to blow by them there too. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. It just feels like, Boston, their starters, 
as we've said, I mean, as I said last night, like they really don't have a natural guy to put on Giannis, which is ironic because you know, they had Horford for so long. And it was like, oh, Giannis, Horford, such a good good uh, matchup for Giannis. And, you know, now they're obviously trying to go smaller. And I think there's there's good arguments for that. I think smart, again, can can be effective at times, frustrating Giannis and if you swarm them and everything. But, um, but yeah, it's just, again, this is why Giannis is great. I mean, you know, there is no – there is no stopper. There is no, you know, easy solution to, to stopping him. And, um, you know, we saw tonight, right. And that the highest leverage situation there in the fourth quarter, the Celtics just really didn't have any answer for stopping him. And the Bucks, I thought did a really nice job kind of moving him around. And, um, you know, he was at times dribbling, attacking from the top. He was, uh, you know, rolling on that, like a crisp play where he finishes, um, the three point play as a roll man. And, um, you know, that's obviously what makes him great that he's, he's not just doing it one way. He can do it so many different ways. And, um, flip side is interesting. I mean, I, I think it's also not, it's, this is not a good matchup for Giannis in terms of like letting him really show off his defensive capabilities, because as much as those guys don't really know how to guard Giannis, you know, you see Giannis ending up in a lot of situations where he's having to go over screens on the perimeter, which is pretty much the worst, <laughs> the worst application of his skill set. Um, you know, he's guarding Jalen Brown a lot. He's at times he's guarding Tatum. Um, you know, he's not guard. He's not, he doesn't have a lot of opportunity to guard kind of bigger guys who maybe are closer to the basket. So he ends up, I think his, his impact is, is dulled a bit on the defensive end relative to what we're used to seeing just because he has to play more out on the perimeter and stay close to a guy like Brown, you know, or, or Tatum, you know, those guys can obviously shoot three. So yeah, just a, you know, a, a really interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, I think certainly one that uh, won't surprise anyone if we see these two teams, you know, in the in the East Finals or depending on how the matchups go potentially in the second round. So just a couple of things to tidy this up. I have just got the – and it's, this has been out on Twitter, so potentially by the time everyone listens to this, they would have already seen this. But the pool report did come down. So a, report, a couple of reporters were able to talk to the officials, particularly about the Tice incident, uh, one of the questions here, just for clarification in that situation, why can't you review for a foul on Giannis in that situation? And the official said, hostile act review does allow for a foul. Had I seen a foul and the contact had been more than incidental, then there would have been a foul on the play, but that did not occur. As you sort of pointed to at the start, I mean, <laughs> you can have some pretty pretty light contact down there and you're going to react. But uh, I think on the replay it showed that it wasn't a foul and there was nothing intentional. And if anything, if there was any contact, it was completely incidental. It wasn't aggressive and it it certainly wasn't intentional. So uh, that's the uh, recap there, even though it appears that Jalen Brown is, is doing some complaining as well on Instagram. He, he posted a photo of Giannis holding uh, Caper's hand, I I think on his Instagram story and, and Ken Maurer, Ken Maurer. Oh, it was Ken Maurer. Uh, was Ken so, Maurer even doing even doing this game? Was Ken Maurer one of the officials? I didn't even remember seeing him. I mean, Capers was the the lead official. Normally, Ken Maurer would be the crew chief. Was he even officiating this game? I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't. I, even, I, I didn't think so. But either way, the Celtics. Uh, like I said, this is a nice little scene setter for a potential uh, postseason matchup. It would be their third year in a row. The only other thing is, uh, Frank. I got through the stream. I did the stream in this game. It was about, we, we, we had some people coming in and out. We had about 15 to 20 people coming in and out throughout. It was pretty fun. You can chat. You can, you can hang out with me. We were, it certainly got pretty exciting towards the end of that. 
Uh, there was definitely mentions of you and whether you would be punching pillows when Giannis was missing oh. free throws in the first half. So you were mentioned. Oh uh, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, those first three free throws. That was uh, a trying time for me. Um, yeah, it was not great, but seven out of nine after that. So that yeah. was encouraging. Uh, and hit a couple obviously important free throws there in the fourth quarter. So, you know, I'll live. I'll live. Yeah, I'll make it. Good. We're glad. So I'm going to be doing that again on Sunday night's game, by the way. The Bucks have the Rockets. What's, what's the app again? Hot mic? Is that what it's called? Hot mic. Yeah. If you download the hot mic app, uh, all you have to do is use the code Kane414 and then you can follow me and it'll just tell you when, I, when I'm going live. And it, it, you know, to, no matter what stream you're watching, you just hold your phone up to your speaker and it'll put you in sync with me and uh, we just hang out. We just hang out and watch the game is, together. Is there, and is, there, is it just audio or is there a video component? How does it work? Yeah, so you can see. So you'll be able to see me. Um, I, okay. I, can't, I can't see anyone else, but there's a, there's a rolling chat uh, where not only like can you can you talk to me and and I can I can talk to you guys but the the guys that are in the chat today were talking with each other and bouncing you know thoughts and ideas off each other. There was plenty of Marcus Smart slander throughout the uh, <laughs> throughout the game, as you can imagine. So I'm hoping that this is something that continues because for me, like I said, I know, I like watching the game with people and talking to people throughout the game. And and now that I'm all the way over here in Australia, I don't get to do that. So I don't know. It was fun. It was something different. I'd never done that before. But uh, it was worthwhile, so I'll be doing that again for the Rockets game for sure, which, by the way, this uh, early battle in the Madden household, is, is, is everything going to be okay? Uh, you know, the uh, Rockets have been so up and down that uh, it's kind of worn my wife's, uh, you know, worn, worn down my wife to an extent. Like, she, she usually doesn't even watch. Well, it's been so long since they played. They're, she was watching part of the game tonight uh, after the Bucks, but... Um, she doesn't usually watch the games live. She usually watches only after uh, she knows the result because it's too emotionally draining for her to watch <laughs> the games live. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is very—you know—you can understand why uh, why she's my wife because I feel like she, you know, we have sort of similar. Well, I mean, I would never go to that length because I obviously feel like I have to watch the games more or less <laughs> live. But um, you know, there, there's a bit of uh, uh, anxiety there between us uh, watching our teams, so. Um, we share a, a kinship uh, when it comes to that, but I, I don't, I don't anticipate a, a civil war or anything like that. My wife is the last, the last couple of seasons of Rockets basketball have kind of worn her down a little bit. So I don't even, I, I'm, I'm curious, maybe she'll watch it live with me. Maybe she won't, we'll, we'll have to see, but um, at least, uh, you know, at, at least the, I think the, the, the layoff will make us hopefully just appreciative of watching basketball and that, not feel too uh I, I don't know i feel like it's taking a little bit of the edge off you know the the whole suspension and everything like that i think you know normally the, the harden yana stuff had sort of created a weird competitiveness about these these matchups but somehow i don't feel that same thing right now maybe partly just because there's no question that Giannis is winning the mvp and there's like you know the the harden stan sort of bitterness is just kind of like amusing at this point um you know the it, it is crazy how like hardened fans I, occasionally i'll stumble upon it but like there's that weird there's this like weird subset of you know sort of hardened fanatics who uh like want to always just try to diminish whatever Giannis does <laughs> because it makes them feel better about themselves or something like that i don't know but uh whatever we'll take the high road and we'll take the mvps and you know um it's just that's fine no big deal well 
Like I said, we can take a deep breath now. First weekend pod we've had in quite a while as well, but we had to do this after the first real game the Bucks have been back. They beat the Celtics 119-112. Houston on Sunday. Frank, appreciate you taking the time on the weekend, or I guess Friday night, to do this with me. And for both of us, we hope everyone stays safe. We hope you enjoyed this pod. We'll speak to you after the Rockets game.